How do we make and multiply disciples around the block and around the world? With host Doug Lucas of Team Expansion, Lee Wood of One Body Church, John Hirima of Big Life, Roger Shull of E3 Partners, and special guests from around the world, we'll explore how believers can come together to make more disciples. Welcome to the More Disciples Podcast. All right, welcome again to another episode of the More Disciples Podcast. I am Roger Scholl, one of the co-hosts here alongside Lee Wood. Hey, everybody. Doug Lucas. Hello, hello. And we have subbing in for John Harrima. We have Guy Kasky as well. Good morning. And for our guest today, it's a guy who has impacted all of us uh, on the podcast, I'm sure, and many of our previous guests and a lot of people around the world in uh, movements. It's a guy named Jeff, Jeff Sundell. Um, but Guy, why don't you introduce us to Jeff? Well, Jeff, uh, I've known Jeff for a long time. And one of the things I can say about Jeff is I have mad respect for him for a couple of reasons. One is that I've had the privilege of serving alongside in the trenches with guys that he's raised up and discipled and has really helped continue the vision that we have for our city and for the nations. And that's a huge blessing. And the other thing is that we have worked in similar tribes. And one of the things that had frustrated me before is guys serving on the field there wouldn't come back and do it here. And Jeff came back here and and was doing it. And uh, I have great respect for him that of pouring his life and discipling others who disciple others. And I'm grateful for this time with him. I think he's got one of the best missiological minds around. And so I'm really grateful to to share this time with pressure's on Jeff. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Jeff, why don't you, why don't you tell us something about yourself? Uh, Maybe tell us how you got started in movements and, and maybe a little bit about what you're doing today. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm looking a bit, you know, in the rear view mirror on some of this. And um, if I go back to Booger Holler, North Carolina, when my wife would try and find me, this is back before cell phones, she would basically call Booger Holler. And so in Booger Holler, I, I was over hanging out with a couple of young guys, a guy named Brandon Philbeck and uh, a group of guys playing basketball and, you know, and just spending time in the word. And, and, and that, it's interesting, that little group of people, basically, when I came to Christ, I was so desperate for somebody to disciple me. I would literally just ask people to disciple me and try to make as progress as much progress as I could on my own and got little pieces here and there. But when I started working with the youth, I said, man, I'm going to. Uh, just that second Timothy two, two. And this is in the nineties, um, really lit in my heart after I memorized it in hindsight, I look at it. One of the things we did long time ago, before I even heard about movements was, um, we call it extreme evangelism. So we taught guys like Brandon, how to share their story, Jesus story. We used a guy named Barry St. Clair way back in the day with discipleship yep. chains. And, um, <laughs> yeah. we began, uh, linking up guys like Brandon with younger people, and so we had this thing called extreme evangelism. The only way you got to come is if you brought a lost person with you. And I wouldn't share the gospel. I made them share their story, Jesus story. And so this little youth group grew from 50 to about 80. I, I look back now at that. And, you know, I remember Bruce Carlton, I, I would consider one of my main mentors. He said, if the word of God got tossed in the backside of the Himalayas and a guy up in the Himalayas picked it up, could he figure out how to make disciples and plant churches that multiplied? And, and the argument was, yes, you know, because the word of God's inspired and errant. And we all believe that dearly to our hearts that's inspired and errant. But the other piece, you know, he, the question he threw out to me that rocked my world was, is the model of Jesus um, inspired? 
Now that's controversial to say because Christ is, you know, incarnate, he's different, he's unique. But at the same time, if you ask an old country farmer in Booger Hollow, North Carolina, should I imitate Jesus? They would say, yes, duh. You know, and so I appreciate those who say, and I agree, Christ is unique, absolute. His salvation that he radically saved me is amazing. But the power of imitating Jesus is, it's unimaginable because, you know, it's just amazing when you look at those little things in scripture and you start to imitate them. The power, even back then, when really hadn't heard about movement, and I didn't know what I was doing at that time, obviously, but I believed in the Word of God and had a couple verses in my heart and just trying to imitate Jesus, you know, and every dumb squirrel finds an acorn, I guess you'd say. But it, it goes back, I think for me, was that question of Bruce. The Word of God's inspired, but should we imitate Jesus? And I would say yes. And I feel like what we've been in my heart since I heard that is, man, how do we as best we can imitate Jesus in everything we do? You know, we never do anything alone. But anyway, I'll stop there. That's a, that's a little bit about, that's way before I heard about movement, but I, I look at it and just go, that's God's sovereignty. That's his power. Yeah. yeah I'd almost pick up there and say, okay, well, what happened then? But uh, <laughs> I want to tell a story before I do, because you met, mentioned Bruce Carlton. I'd never met him before a meeting that I was at with uh, with Guy in um, Houston. It's interesting. So this last weekend, there's a guy that was from Oklahoma City that's a 20-something-year-old guy that's driving around in an old beat-up truck that's moved to Tampa. And he shows up at a home that we're doing the same thing. Say, hey, we're just trying to, to imitate Jesus and pass on to others what's been passed on to me. My story is a lot like yours, Jeff. I accept that I was, I came to faith in Jesus uh, aboard a ship where I cried out to him. And I realized that, hey, I can just try to do this stuff that I see or I'm reading in this little New Testament. I didn't even have a whole Bible. I think that is so spot on is that we can, um, (laughs) we can follow Jesus. We can imitate Jesus. So that question, I've always wondered, I haven't got the whole story, the whole story from you. I remember um, when I first talked to you where you were saying, Lee, I'm a missionary. And that stood with me, man, because like Spurgeon said, every Christian's a missionary or an imposter. Can you like just tell like what that played out? Let because you're like a humble dude, but like he's used your imitating Jesus to pass on to a whole lot of people in this country and around the world. So can you elaborate a little bit more on on the story of what that's looked like from that time to now and the increase that Jesus has given, bro? Honestly, you know, Bruce spent a, he spent nine months with me and he probably wanted to ship me back home <laughs> after the first nine months. So way back in the day, the strategy coordinator training took a year. But Bruce met a guy named Chris Stocks and um, I'm, I'm extremely dyslexic uh, and I'm a ferocious reader. I'm not dumb, but I, I, I'm, I'm not I can't write. I, I get words mixed up. I, I can't spell. I get numbers messed up. I screwed up two passport names yesterday for tickets to go to the Horn of Africa yesterday. So but this is normal part of my life, you know. But so Bruce was probably fed up. But when Bruce met Chris and they they adjusted Acts twenty nine to um, adult learning styles, so that it, it to me it in a, in a lot of ways imitated what Jesus did to where it was hands on. That's the way I learn. I'm, I'm a mechanic by trade. And my, my dad would always say, hey, go down to the garage, tear it out, 
and, you know, start tearing apart, try and put it back together. And if you get stuck, call me. And so I think that was huge for me. So the next time I sat with Bruce, I sat with him for two weeks and it's like, it changed my life. I mean, literally just walking through. And I think one of Bruce's, you know, there's several mantras. I would say one is that question, you know, we believe the word of God's inspired and errant, but two, should we imitate Jesus? And yes, we should. And then the second thing he'd say, we got two authorities, the word of God and the spirit. And, and there are guardrails. And, and in the center line is movement. In the center line is disciple making. In the center line is imitating Jesus. The balance of hearing from the spirit, the balance of being in the word and having the freedom. You know, the methods, it's great to have methods. Methods will fade away. But the word and the spirit won't fade away, you know. And so I think that piece and honestly, you know, the, the big piece after that, it just I'd say with Bruce is we read large chunks of scripture. So yes. we would literally sit and read the whole book of Luke, the whole book of Acts. And and we did that for 10 years. I mean, I that's we would read the book, the New Testament through 15 to 30, 35 times a year. And that impacts your life. You know, when you're reading those large chunks of scripture, and I think sometimes we read scripture and we're looking at that little devotion, we're looking at those things and that's good. But man, when you see the big picture, of the life of Christ. And then you see the big picture of how Paul and the disciples imitated Jesus. It changes your trajectory. And then I, you know, and I think the other big verse, it would be in John 14 for me is, you know, and I think he's speaking to Peter. Peter's one of my heroes. I think he'll punch me when I get to the pearly gates because <laughs> I've said so many bad things about him. You know, he's an illiterate, untrained man that God used to turn the world upside down, Amen. you know, in Acts 4. And, you know, that's the kind of people God uses. Amen. And so to think about this brother, Peter, who's probably illiterate, learns to write, I think writes first and second Peter, probably almost doesn't get into canon because first Peter is so different than second Peter. <laughs> but that's pretty normal when an illiterate learns to read and write. There's improvement. And again, that's just my opinion. There's lots of arguments about it. But what I think spoke to Jesus, well, what Jesus spoke to Peter, he said, hey, brother, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it if it brings glory and honor to me. And then he says, you will do greater things than I myself. Amen. And and I think that thought of that day, you know, after Peter's, man, he's had so many great statements. You're the Messiah. You know, you are the Lord God. He's had this great faith. But then he's blown it and you see the mistakes, you see the failures. He walked away, denied Christ, not only denied Christ, he quit and he went back fishing and, and God restored him. But then God does something amazing and 3000 people repent and believe. And so that John 14 piece of that our disciples should be the greatest, should do greater things than we ourselves. And in movements, when it comes to leadership development, the passion and heart of a leader ought to be that his leaders do greater things than he himself. Amen. And so Bruce just ingrained that in our hearts. And, and, and it's just become, uh, I love that chapter, you know, and just to think that Peter, maybe on that day, was like, wow, this is what it means to be restored. And the guy still blows it, by the way, but <laughs> God used this guy in an amazing way. <laughs> and it, that's us, man. We're going to blow it. And, and yeah. it's the love of Christ and the love of the body that holds movements together. You know, it's not my strategy. It's not somebody's brilliant methods. 
It's loving God and loving our brothers and sisters Amen. in Christ. Loves the glue to movements. So I, I, that's a, probably a 30,000-foot view. Um, but I'm just saying, if I were to say what impacted changed my life about what Bruce did with us, it was that. And then basically, Bruce just began to carry me around and let me go train with him, tell his stories, and put me in front of the room. And I made mistakes, and I fumbled. And then we just began doing what Bruce did. And all along, he's saying, just imitate Jesus. Never go anywhere alone, two by two. If you go two by two and you never do anything alone, God will create a leadership factory if it's all for his glory and all for his honor. And so just never do anything alone. And that's what Jesus did. Good you know? stuff. You know, when I uh, think back to my college days and when I, I met you, Jeff, it was one of the most impactful things on me was exactly what you were talking about because uh, basically what happened is at one point I started calling up Jeff like every other week or so, just for not long, 30 minutes, just asking him discipleship questions. And at the time, I, I was not really sharing the gospel that much. I probably didn't have any disciples or anything like that, but he just was humble enough to to take calls from me. But when I'd ask him like, Jeff, how do I do this? How do I do that? He would just be like, you know, Roger, I just pray and ask the spirit and like read the word of God and and just see what you get. <laughs> and he had been telling me about all this stuff that had been happening in, in the heart of lostness in the, in the world and all this stuff that he had done. He had told me a little bit about it. So I was like, Jeff, you could just tell me what to do. <laughs> but the fact that, that um, you said exactly that to me, like how you read the new Testament through 15 times a year, I was like, well, dang, that's like what I guess I need to do. So I think so, uh, right around the time when we stopped having those calls, I, I was like, all right, I'm going to read the word of God. And I, that's all I did for uh, six months, read the Gospels and Acts uh, through just asking how Jesus um, made disciples mm. and started to multiply how the early church did. And so that was super impactful to me even today to even pass on to my leaders to say, like, the most important thing is if you get stuck, the answers are in the word of God and you can pray and ask the spirit how mm. to implement it. And that's how we get unstuck. And that's the basis of, of what we do for leadership development where I'm at. Um, sounds really impactful to me and actually going to your house, staying with you for a few days like you did with Bruce was super big for me to catching vision. And uh, so I just appreciate that. I didn't know if you could kind of take us down from the 30,000 foot view to maybe just a, a few thousand feet down or 15,000, 10,000. Or I, I would just love to hear, yeah, what happened after, after you had that time of learning that stuff and started trying to implement those things like, you know, I agree when you say like, you know, loves the glue and all this, but I, I know you just got a lot of stories of what you've seen God do in the heart of lostness in the globe. So I love to hear just kind of, yeah, how that, how you guys went about that. You know, the interesting thing is the, the power of the word, you know, just uh, that we were actually talking to a brother this weekend and um, we were talking about making disciples uh, that make disciples and just uh, the, the power of the word is just pointing people back to the word, mm -hmm. you know, so I can answer the question, but it really doesn't help me to answer the question. I want to create reliance in the word and what's the word say, you know, and, and let's dig in the word. And, you know, I think one of the first big impacts for me, you know, sort of doing that when I started getting on my own was after Bruce sort of kicked me out of the nest because he did it a couple of times. He said, hey, Jeff, you're not coming with me anymore. You're on your own. Go take some other people around. And, and we were doing that. And um, we were working in the country of Bhutan. We were seeing some neat things among the Sharshopa and, and God was moving. And But we were seeing young people come to faith, uh, onesies here, here, there, you know, but they were struggling to gather into groups, gather mm -hmm. into churches. 
And so we were just wrestling. What do we do? You know, because the persecution comes because they're onesies. There's a lot of suffering. And they would come to us and just say, hey, Jeff, um, we need some money so we can rent a building so we can have a Mm. church. And and I just said, hey, bros, I'm I'm not Bill Gates. I'm the worst fundraiser in the world. I'm not the guy you want to rely on because you're going to be super disappointed in me. We need to figure out how to do this differently. And so a group of us went to the mountains and the Himalayas and just fasted and prayed, dug in the word. And so we sat and dug in the word all week. And, you know, and God just gave us one little insight through that fasting and prayer. It just was Tom Wolf taught us to look for the person of peace. And we'd been doing that and we were getting the person of peace. But there was one little version, NIV, I think says person of peace. And I think the um, New American Standard may have said house of peace. And so we just saw that little piece and then we connected to scripture where we're obviously seeing whole households, households come to Christ. And so we just shifted that little piece at the end of the fasting and prayer and just said, hey, guys, this is all we got. Let's make a little ju- adjustment from now on. Let's just share the gospel with the head of the household. You know, we began to do that and it, it dramatically shifted our what we were doing because we started seeing whole households. So we told the guys, don't share on the street, only in the homes and focus on the head of the household. And so our conversions decreased, baptisms increased, church formation increased, multiplication increased. And I think one of the the greatest days after I spent 10 years doing that, there was a brother named Dorje who was older than I was. And he came up to me, you know, with tears in his eyes as we were leaving in 2009. He said, hey, you're you're my hero. And, uh, you know, he handed me a gift. And I was like, no, brother, you're, you're, the, you're the hero. You're, you're the guy. And this guy had gotten to seventh generation HC, you know, but I think just seeing that little shift that God did through fasting and prayer and going back to the word, creating dependency on the word. And and I can I could go on probably 20, 25 stories of just when an obstacle occurred, you know, in reaching a people group or multiplication or making disciples, whatever it may be, gospel, discipleship, church formation, leadership. When we go to the word, when we go to fasting and prayer and we fast and pray about those obstacles and we point the body to the word instead of to books. You know, I think that was Bruce's thing was like, Jeff, put all your books down. Let's go to the word and allow the word and the spirit to marinate. And so, you know, that story, basically how NPL unfolded in the U.S. You know, you, some of you guys have been with us fasting and praying 40 days, 20 days, 10 days. And we were always fasting for breakthrough. Here's the obstacle. How do we overcome it? But we need the spirit and the word to guide us. So, you know, that's been just a huge impact on my life. And and even to this day, you know, I think just here locally, we rushed over to this country after the big blast. And uh, we came in and we honestly were overwhelmed and didn't know what to do. We just thought, man, we're going to do sort of what we've always done. We're going to go pray. And so we started praying. We just 10 to 15,000 steps a day. So five to eight miles a day, just prayer walking and just asking God to open up homes. And we went up early in the morning before anybody's up because we didn't want to, we don't prayer walk so we can open up homes. We prayer walk to meet with God and just see where God's working. And so as we were doing that, one of the first ladies to invite us in for coffee happened about three weeks later. My wife prayed for her. Her house had been destroyed. Just prayed in the name of Jesus that somebody would come and fix her house. You know, and, and basically we're saying, hey, we have no money. We're not an NGO. 
we're just praying. That's all we're doing. That's all we got. And so this uh, Sunni lady lets my wife pray in the name of Jesus that her house gets fixed. And that day, well, we come back a week later in that particular house, and she shares that somebody's signed up to start fixing her house. Then the next time we go back, and this lady um, shares that her mom has uh, something wrong with her heart. Again, my wife prays in the name of Jesus for healing. And they needed uh, about $300, I think, from what I remember, to go to the doctor and get looked at. So uh, right after we left, a neighbor gave $300. They go to the doctor, and the heart's okay. And what's interesting is we watched, um, we literally listed over 100 answered prayers in about four months. I would say much credit to my wife's prayer life, not anything to do with me. But this lady began to take us to homes of people far from God and said, would you go pray for them? And it really got to be the point of people would literally follow us down the street and say, come to our house, pray for us. And and it's, yeah. that's, I mean, that's literally sort of what we've seen since it's just about God. It's about the power. There's the mystery of God in movements. There's one thing, there's methodology. You know, there's one thing about having great strategy, but there's the mystery of the power that God um, has that transforms and changes Amen. lives. And so to see the lady that my wife prayed for, um, her mom has come to faith and she's gone swimming since then. And even since then, the old man has uh, come to faith and says he's in the kingdom. And so to see a whole house set, you know, God can do that. There's nothing new under the sun. It, it may start differently. I've never seen an answered prayer like that before. It was almost like a prayer movement occurred. And in a little time, I've never seen anything quite like that. And that's the uniqueness of God and the beauty of God. You can't put them in a box. Yes, imitate it. Yes. Keep pushing people back to the word. Yes, have some clear patterns of methods and tools, but be open to the mystery and the power of God. I was talking to some leaders this past week in Turkey, and I was challenging them about their calendar. I, I do a three-year calendar. That sounds crazy because people go, Jeff, you don't really do a three-year calendar. And I'm like, I've been doing it ever since David Garrison taught me to do it. They said, well, how do you do year two and three? I said, you got to trust in the mystery of God. Trust and expect he's going to do something. Trust and expect you're going to be putting that training on the calendar. Trust and expect you're going to be doing that mid-level because there's multiplication. But you got to do it by faith. But if you only plan six months, six weeks ahead, and you don't account for the mystery of God, there's got to be the expectation of God to do something great. And so I think part of our job as leaders is putting expectation that God is powerful and God is holy and God is glorious and he's going to, he's going to demonstrate his power and he's going to reveal his glory. So I'm sorry. I know that's not three minute little thing. So um, <laughs> that's okay. we're fascinated by everything you're saying. I'm especially interested from some of our listeners and viewers, since it's on YouTube as well in the United States, in North America, uh, throughout USA and Canada, they hear these stories of things like this happening overseas. But sometimes I think in the United States and Canada, we kind of, convince ourselves that it's only an international phenomenon. Do you mind, can you share mm. a story or something about what you're seeing in North America that at least gives you hope, brother? Yeah, I mean, I, I wish Troy Cooper were here right now. He was sharing, we were talking to Victor Chowdhury last night, and he shared some amazing stories of what God was doing out in L.A. that just blew me away. Of uh, sounded like Acts 19 mm -hmm. of guys, you know, guys and girls burning their 
their Wiccan books and their satanic worship and things like that. But um, again, I, I think if I just even go back to when we started in the U.S., and this is a little while ago, but, um, you know, when you start in the U.S., you go find, you go get your mom and dad because somebody believes in you. So my mom and dad, I know, well, they'll go prayer walking with me. They'll go share the gospel with me. Got a good mom and dad. You know, what was really exciting was just some of the very same things that we saw God do you know, overseas. And I remember my, and, and I, it was such a joy to see my dad and my mom pray in the name of Jesus for a lady and to see her healed in, in Booger Holler. And we're, we're you know, we're, we're Baptists, we're Baptocostical. I don't really know what I am anymore, but <laughs> uh, hopefully Biblist. <laughs> but, you know, to see this African-American lady healed when mom and dad and a group of new believers prayed over her and to see her healed. And then to see a little church begin to form in that neighborhood and, you know, and, and watch the, the meth lab shut down to watch the speakeasy shut down, you know, and then to see the town drunk come to faith. There's still, my mom and dad are still involved there to, to this day, by the way, they're still in that community, loving on people, sharing the gospel, making disciples. My dad's a business guy. He's buried a number of the people there. When a couple of the people they led to Christ died, they called my dad and asked my dad to do the funeral. My dad married a couple of the people there, you know, and, and mom and dad also, they love loud too, man. You know, we, we love to see God do miracles, but they're running out, carrying people to the hospital and taking them to get medicine. You know, and I, I remember my dad saying to me, because um, they started planting house churches in Pennsylvania with the, the with the SBC up there, and then they moved down to Booger Holler. My dad just saying, "Man, I wish I'd have been taught this 25 years ago." Mm. You know, and I think you know it's just fun to see it with my mom and dad. And one of the one of the cool things um, this is Doug. This is a little different than the miraculous, but there's probably been over about 300 people, best we know, sent out of NPL overseas who are now involved in this work. But one of the cool things is Troy Cooper's daughter over this way now. My brother's daughter over here this way now. My daughter is serving in the Middle East. My other daughter and her husband and children are serving in Central Asia. And just to see, there's one thing to see those incredible miracles and the thing God does. But one thing that happens in South Asia and it happens in the Middle East and it happens in Africa, happens in America. When you birth people into the kingdom with two things on their lips, I'm going to go share with my family. I'm going to go share the gospel to my oikos is the first thing. The second thing on their lips is we're going to go to the nations. And now we're seeing people who came out of this work and came to faith through this. All they know is multiplication. There's a second gen believer working and serving in the Middle East came out of the work. And they are, it's different. They're not, they didn't grow up with the baggage I grew up with, the struggles I grew up with. Now they have different struggles. A fifth generation disciple working and moving, leading a lot of things in Tennessee and Memphis, you know, and it's just a, what a privilege, you know. So I, I love seeing those miraculous things of God. But man, you know, one of the questions we always ask about discipleship is, tell me about your grandchildren. And if I look at the health of your grandchildren, I have a good idea of the health of you as a disciple. And, you know, and so it's, we're just starting to see the children now come overseas from these, this, I, I believe personally, and not just NPL, but I think other places, um, other groups, there's, you know, multiple networks in the U.S. 
I personally believe these are emerging movements of movements. And so if I look at NPL, it's a family. It's a family of movements that are emerging. We're just, yeah, we're the little tiny mustard seed right now. And, you know, and Lee, what you guys are doing and what other guys are doing, yeah, it doesn't look like what South Asia looks like after 20 some years, 25 some years, but we're the mustard seed and God's using it, you know, and, and he's faithful and he's going to accomplish his purpose. And he desires everybody. You know, I think the biggest piece is he desires everybody to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ at least once in their lifetime, one time. And I'm 50, I'll be 56 this month. And I repented and believed in 1986, a New Jersey gangbanger, Ron Barbagley shared the gospel with me. In 10 days, I was radically changed. It's the only time somebody's ever personally shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with me was at one time in November 1986. I've never had another opportunity since then. But to think most of the people around the globe never, ever get one opportunity to hear the gospel. But the problem is that's now on the doorsteps of America. At our doorsteps, there are people who have never heard the name of Jesus, which is hard to believe. We have access, but it takes somebody opening their mouth and 10 seconds of insanity of sharing their story and Jesus story. Amen, bro. So I have the incredible privilege of walking to Jesus because of somebody in Jersey shared the gospel with me. Man, what are we going to do about it? And everybody deserves one chance, you know? Hey, Jeff, so I, I really heard some principles out of you just in those stories that I think would answer this question, but I want to be real direct about it. So let's say that I want to I want to see a, a hub or a pipeline from here to there, or let's say I'm a person who's interested in serving among the nations. What are some of the things that you would practically tell me to do? I heard it in every one of those stories, but I'd like real direct. How, how could we do a hub from here to there? What are some of the things that you would suggest for us to do? Or if I'm a it feel like the spirit of God's leading me to go. What would you tell me to do here if I'm in the States? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I think the principle is it's, it's no longer we go, we mobilize to movement. Now let's get the movement here and be mobilized. So I think that's the number one thing. Yeah. So, which just means yeah. if I'm not willing to walk across the street and share the gospel with my neighbor or share with my family, what makes you think there's going to be magic dust between here and the other side of the pond that you're all of a sudden going to do it? Let's go. So, you know, <laughs> I think, uh, I think that's the first piece, you know, and then I think the other piece that's really tough is it's one thing to share your story, Jesus story, but you know, Paul, I wish he'd done a better job writing Hebrews personally, but anyhow, I'm, that's my opinion. But I go from I go, I look at chapter five and he just makes this statement. He said, man, you guys are still on milk, you know, and it's time for you to be on meat. Yep. But what he didn't talk about is yes. you just need to put first and second Corinthians between milk and meat. It is messy. The messy yeah. middle of discipleship. Yes. And, and Paul knew it. Uh, just maybe he didn't want to warn us of how bad it is, but man, learn how to make disciples here. And I think that's I think it's one of the struggles in our churches today is we we like it to look all perfect and nice and clean. But the truth is discipleship's messy. I'm messy. Y'all are messy. We gotta learn how to deal with a mess, you know, and it's that's just part of it. And so I think, you know, as you share your story and Jesus' story, man, digging in, making disciples who imitate you as you imitate Jesus, I think is is key. And then I think the other thing is, man, don't do it alone. Go get some friends and go do it together. That was always Burke Wilson's thing, man. Let's let's go get some friends and go somewhere and plant a church. Like Jesus said, 
never do anything alone. And then 58 I would one probably or another, the 58 one another's in the Bible, Brand at least 58 one another's. Man, you got to do the one another's <laughs> with one another. I'm sorry to step on you. I got another question, man. Is um, Boom, so, no, so um, it took me. I'm so ADHD, man. You're just blessing my heart, man. So I'm going to bounce around. Everybody live with it. You know, it's always um, you got to obey and train others. You got to like you have to like not training. You got to do it like what you're saying. Like so from my home, I started with my wife because somebody that, you know, poured deeply into me the same way that Bruce Carlton did to you. And like, why can't we what for two questions? Why can't we just get that in a Western context? Okay, like that's it. It seems so simple. And then I guess God has to revelate that. That has to come on. But it seems like a, an incredible gap in our context, in a Western context. Hey, let's do this in allegiance to Jesus, the word of the spirit. Let's do that. So obey and train others. Then the other thing, always relational before organizational. But to the second part of my question, the second part is, the seventh thing it took me eight years to learn was we have to connect, we have to communicate and collaborate. And we do all this siloing up stuff, man. If we're really it's just disciples and churches, and it's the global ecclesia, it's the national, but we're the representation of that body. So why don't we play better in love and unity with one another with no white space in between us? Just like because I feel the spirit of God just listening to you, man. Like it, like I'm fired up just because of this. And so those are two questions I got is why is it so stinking hard here in a Western context? Sorry, because we're doing that. We're, we're obeying and sending people out. We've seen that. Praise God. But then second of all, why don't we all just like be able to be together about that and like no silos? It seems like that's another difficult thing for we to do just as followers of Jesus, man, as disciples and churches. I think you can appreciate my ADHD as well, but I did ask two questions. <laughs> I did ask two questions inside of there, bro. Right. Yeah. There's two questions in there somewhere. Okay. <laughs> well, um, I think the first one, and I'll just go into a story. Um, yeah, perfect. <laughs> My my son-in-law and daughter were out prayer walking, and they prayer walked with somebody. They met a brother, and he, he had an injury to his leg, so they prayed in the name of Jesus for healing. Uh, this brother was healed. Um, he's a cousin. We'll just say that. And he was healed miraculously. And so they came back the next week. In the meantime, the guy had a dream. And he had a dream of Jesus. He's, he's, so he's, you know, he's heard the gospel about, it. he's had this dream and he's, so he, he meets him. He says, man, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to follow. And so they begin discipling him and he begins sharing his story and Jesus story with his friends, like you should do shares with his family. Anyhow, just recently him and a couple of buddies were studying the word, got beaten really bad. Um, and so they had to run and hide and, uh, and this is fresh. This is in the last little bit. And so when I hear my friends who are sort of against what we do, you know, they go, well, how can you trust what you do? And I said, well, I've never been beaten, you know, to follow Jesus. And so this brother last night, the 
some of the HCs were praying around him and trying. He has no place to stay. His house is destroyed. He lost everything. And, and you know, it's tempting as an outsider to step in and say, well, we can take care of all that. And I just say, man, let's let's just trust and let's just see what the local HCs, let's see if these other brothers can take care of them. And so they prayed in the name of Jesus. And so somebody ended up letting them put them in a house. And we still got some guys that are pretty beat up. So I think the big thing, the brothers and sisters over here, the cost of discipleship comes early for them. I think in the West, you know, so as soon as you go swimming over here, somewhere, anywhere in South Asia or the Middle East, man, you just stepped across a line. Well, you could go swimming and, you know, get baptized in the West and it, it really, you know, it doesn't have that huge impact. But I think the cost piece um, in the U.S. is when you start making disciples, you start dealing with a mess. You start dealing with the junk. And I think that's where a lot of people quit and tap out because they go, you know what? I'm going to go back there where it's nice and clean and we're dressed up and I don't have to deal with this because this is hard. I'm, I'm running around and carrying somebody over here and man, they're, they're dropping the F-bomb during the Bible study and their kids are a wreck. And so I, I think to me, that's the big difference between the West is the cost of discipleship. Both places have a cost, but our cost, it seems to lag a little behind when we start making disciples. So I think that's our struggle. Just personally, I don't know. Uh, that's where I saw people tap out, and that's where I saw people thrive that's good. is right there. Yeah, man, the, the collaboration piece, that's, that's a super good question. You know, it's interesting, you know, relationship precedes strategy, you know, and so I think one of the big pieces is um, that that relationship piece is so key. Getting in a boat is so important. And so we can we can have common methodologies, common tools, and we can have common vision. But until you're in a boat together, that, that's that's just that big piece of just building that trust and love for one another. You know, and, and I think what, a lot of times we miss the boat piece for the sake of expedience on other areas of, hey, we want to we want to collaborate or we want to get the vision. We want to get to we want to accomplish this task. You know, I, I thought McChrystal in his book, Team of Teams, had a great statement. He, he said he wishes he if he had it all to do over again, you know, when the Gulf War occurred, he said, man, we had more resources, more stuff than we ever had before in history. But he said, what I didn't have was relationship with the president and the vice president and the key leaders in the government. And he said, even though I had all this stuff of my resources, That's I good. couldn't get it done. And so his thing is like, man, if I had it do over again, we'd go get in a raft, go out and hang out, have a picnic, have some fun and just get to know one another. It's part of that work hard, play hard. As, as we work hard and push the vision, I, I just feel like I, I just, again, I'm telling you my opinion of the silos piece is um, we got to find time to get in a boat with one another, you know, and that relationship precedes strategy. But sometimes we sort of try to go, hey, strategically, we should all align. Let's go do this together. But I, I think when we miss relationship, you know, it's just it's it's key that that back to that loving one another piece, man. You know, it's that's that's what it's about. You know, we we're. I was walking across the other day with a, a brother, Chris, and we were, I walked eight miles one day at Ephesus, and then I walked uh, seven miles at Laodicea and Heropolis. And we were just reflecting to think, we drove a car two hours and 30 minutes to get to Heropolis from Ephesus. And then we drove 15 minutes to get over to Ephesus and just thinking, man, Paul walked all this way with his buddies. Jesus walked up to Sidon and Tyre with his buddies, you know, with his disciples. 
You know, and I think we miss how much of that piece of sitting down together at night and hanging out together is a key part of discipleship. It's not just the training. It's riding on the train. It's sitting around together talking. Anyhow, you were so a Epaphras, bro. I'm watching you were a Epaphras, man. That's who you were, man. <laughs> you went from Ephesus to Laodicea to, to Hierapolis. You were a Epaphras, man. <laughs> if I'd have had a little more time, I'd have been in Colossae, but, uh, but yeah. we needed to fly out. I'm going to give you I, credit. I you're you're a Biblicist, <laughs> man. Like I'm looking, you're a Biblibapticostal, bro. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I can personally, like I mentioned before, attest to Jeff and your Amen. family. Uh, just get the relationship piece. Like like I said, one of the most impactful things when I was a 19 year old college kid, I had just I'd been a believer for a year and a half and been getting trained that whole time. But coming to stay with uh, you and your family and Booger Holler for a few days, you guys even offered for me to stay more days. But I was like, no. I need to go do it. But you guys are like, are you sure you could stay longer? And I realize in hindsight, I should have just stay longer. But um, uh, just, just that you guys do care about the relational piece. And that made a huge impact on me and still does. And I am so sad because of that, that I have to say, we got to wrap up this podcast episode. I'm so sad because I haven't talked to you in a while. And it's just good even just to chat over here. Um, I'm also sad because I know you have so many more stories and we can go for, for hours We'll have to close here. So it was good hearing your story and about all the HCs that you mentioned, uh, house churches for our listeners that don't know. And if that's too security risk, we'll have Brandon <laughs> cut that out. <laughs> but I think it'll be okay for the listeners. Okay. Thank you so much, <laughs> Jeff. Okay. Okay. I didn't Such a blessing, man. Thank you. No. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you Jeff. so much, brother. Thank you, guys. It was a privilege to be with you guys. How are you making more disciples? What problems have you encountered? What successes have you celebrated? What questions do you have? Share your stories with us by visiting moredisciples.com slash contact. If you're looking for next steps on growing your ability to make and multiply disciples, visit moredisciples.com to find resources, tools, and events all designed to help you make more disciples.